Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. Today on the Deal Deep Dive episode, we are joined by Jeff Toprik. Jeff is an industry expert in real estate and has handled over $8 billion in real estate transactions. Currently, Jeff is the principal and co-founder of FD Stonewater. Now let's welcome Jeff Toprik. Jeff Toporak, thank you so much for joining the Deal Deep Dive today. Jeff is here from FD Stonewater. They are a full-service real estate company from development to investment to brokerage. Jeff, thanks for joining us. You want to take a couple minutes and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me, Trent. Yeah, I'd be happy to. My name is Jeff Toporak. I'm one of the co-founders and principals of FD Stonewater. We are based in Washington, D.C. with a presence on the West Coast, which is where I sit. We have 10 partners. We're a privately held company. We have 43 professionals around the country. We really have three different business lines. Everything is very niche focused. The first business line, we do federal consulting for owners that either want to attract or retain the federal government as a tenant. So we have the former head of GSA that's part of that team and other agency officials. We have a development group where we focus on built-to-suits for federal and state governments. We've now expanded that into corporates that have some relationship to federal government contracts. And we also do some joint ventures, student housing development as well. On the investment side, almost everything we do is single-tenant, mission-critical-based We've done multi-tenant value-add in the past, but our fastball has always really been mission-critical, single-tenant for the last 20-plus years. Very nice. And how long have you been with FD Stonewater and what's your role there? Yeah, so I co-founded the company back in 2003. Prior to that, I was at Eastill for about eight years, and I co-run our investment and asset management group. Very nice. And for the people that may not know... What is asset management when it comes to these types of properties that you guys are working on? Oh, wow. That could be a whole other episode. My (laughs) definition of asset management is probably very different than most. You obviously have the reporting and all the compliance and stuff like that, but we are a very, very active asset manager. So our job is to really get in there and create value at the property level with the tenant. Most of what we do is create the relationships with the tenants from the ground up, but also have those relationships at corporate. And one of the biggest things that we see as an opportunity is the needs at the property level are very challenging to get met because you need dollars. 
So we come in with the ability to provide a solution for what the folks need on the ground with a capital market solution. That's why we approach single tenant investing very differently, where it's not a passive investment for us. We view our relationship with a tenant that they're our partner. Since it's a mission critical asset, there's typically things that they're trying to do to grow their business. So we try to partner with them to help them figure those things out. And we'll talk about one of those examples today, but we could talk about other case studies that we've done as well, where we will bring in our development team and asset management team and really help them figure out what their needs are. Before we get into the deal that we're talking about today, that's one major difference that I've seen in the short conversation so far between multifamily and some of the other vehicles is sometimes in multifamily, it's the management company versus the tenants. And I think what you just described was a more symbiotic relationship with the tenant that's in there. Thousand percent. We never consider ourselves in that landlord tenant adversarial relationship. It's really important for us, even during the due diligence phase of when we're buying something, we genuinely want to understand what they're doing from a business standpoint. That's one of our value adds is the more we know about how that business is run, the more we can actually help them solve their problems and ultimately achieve their goals. And the way we view it is if we help the tenant succeed, the real estate success just comes along with it, right? There's very few instances where you're helping a tenant succeed at something where you're not benefiting as the real estate owner. So not having that like very narrow view of, I have to do what's good for me, that's never been how we've approached the business. It's always been a partnership and how we can help them. I like that. I like that. And the deal we're talking about today is right in line with what we've been talking about so far. You want to share what this deal is and when you bought it? Sure. So this is one of the seed assets for our Evergreen Fund that we launched in December. And it's in Huntsville, Alabama. And this is where kind of that cross-platform expertise comes into play. Our federal consulting team has looked at a lot of deals down there. You have the Redstone Arsenal. It's a very critical location for defense contractors and the U.S. government, frankly. We had a lot of knowledge going in, what was going on in that market. And we came across a deal that was leased to a defense contractor on a long-term basis. What was complicated about this deal is it comes with 17 acres and there are mandatory expansion obligations that the tenant could come to you and say, you need to expand the building by 50,000 square feet. And the landlord is obligated to do that. If you're a passive single tenant investor without a development arm, you really have a tough time buying that. Sure, you can hire third parties to do it, but in our experience, anything that's development related, even an expansion, our development team is typically giving advice to the tenant for two to three years before they even do anything on pulling the trigger. And if you don't have that development acumen in-house, most buyers were shying away from it. This is not just your typical coupon clipper. And we've actually bought similar assets like that. We had an asset in Dayton, Ohio that was leased to a defense contractor as well. It had a very similar obligation. And those are the types of deals that are perfect for us because we get to bring in our development team right at the front end. It's a single tenant asset. It has 10 years left of term. We were basically not even really paying for the land. 
and the expansion potential. And they have a very, very mission critical role here at the facility. So there's an office component to the building, but there's all engineers that are helping design the products that they're testing in the facility, as well as ultimately will be manufacturing because that's what the expansion will likely be. So you have half the building right now is actually lab. You have half that's the engineers, and then you'll have another half of the building that we'll build that will be for manufacturing. Really exciting deal for us, really mission critical. And what we learned about that asset when we were even in diligence was the company now views Huntsville as a major base for them. And so much so that for other locations that they have within that same business unit, for every application and job opening they have, they were only getting one applicant. In Huntsville, they're getting 10 respondents per job opening. So the labor market there is much more robust. So they may even ask us to build another two buildings on that site for them down the road. This is something that we do as really a 10-year plus development over time that will be all built to suit for this tenant. When you're looking at an obligation like that in a lease when you're in your diligence phase, do you underwrite for that, expecting them to say, hey, we want 50,000 more square feet? Or how do you even underwrite to project for that expense and development? Yeah, it's a great question. So we really look at everything from what happens if they vacate. So what does my return look like if they leave? What does our return look like if they just renew? And these are all things that are based within the four corners of the lease. And then we'll typically come up with a business plan of what is it that we think we can do that will help the tenant and what does that look like? So in this case, it's an expansion of the building. We use what we thought were the right development costs internally with our development team, put in a return on costs, and then ultimately where you get yourself is you price the expansion, but you also are doing sort of a blend and extend on the existing lease. Because if you're building something, you can't have a different lease term. And typically, you need enough term on the expansion to amortize those costs so that the rent isn't artificially high, because that's not something we want either. And typically, if the tenant is looking to do an expansion like that, they're already significantly committed to the facility. So 10, 15 years is not something that is really an issue for them at that point in the conversation. But we really get our development team involved in helping us underwrite that from the get-go. And what a lot of people struggle with is the financial obligation that that comes with. And you really have to have confidence in your lenders that you're going to be able to get financing for those. We have another facility right now that we're expanding for a manufacturing tenant. And our existing lender is going to be providing the MES financing for that. It's not cheap, but in today's market with the volatility we're all experiencing, the fact that we could even get it done is a feat in itself. That's a situation where we're able to accomplish something that the tenant couldn't otherwise do. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done, have freedom in your time, and streamline your life 
by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. Is there ever come a point where a tenant may ask for an expansion and it doesn't make sense as the property owner? I mean, if it's an obligation, you have to do it, but is there a situation where you'd almost be forced to do it and not get that ROI that you're looking for? Yeah. So those become tricky, right? You have to be able to have a return on cost that makes sense. And that is a big part of what we diligence in the lease is how is that rent derived in order to come up with something that does make sense for the landlord? And candidly, going into it, if we see something that doesn't feel right from a return on cost perspective, no matter how it's calculated, that's way too tenant friendly, that could create too much risk for us, we're probably not going to be a buyer of that. In most instances, though, the landlord and tenants, when they're negotiating those provisions, they negotiate them so that they're mutually beneficial. And the tenant doesn't have one over on the landlord to say like, hey, you're going to go do this. Like, No one wants a default situation in that scenario. But look, there are other situations that regardless of the obligation or not, got to have very, very transparent conversations with the tenants of, you know, here are the costs. Here's my profit. I'm not ashamed to say to someone like, yeah, we're in the business of making profit to help accomplish what you're looking for. And there's no real issue there. As long as you're having that dialogue, then it just becomes a decision of, does it make sense for the tenant? And does it make sense for the landlord? And generally, that's how we've been able to get through a lot of those, what could be very uncomfortable conversations. And I'm sure it helps having those good relationships with your tenants to be able to go and have those conversations when they have to happen. Yeah. I mean, we're in constant contact with our tenants. So they shouldn't be surprised by anything and neither should we. We should be fully knowing what's happening. So for this deal that we're talking about in Huntsville, you said you bought it in 2019. Is that correct? No, 2022. We closed on it literally December of last year. So this is just when the market volatility was starting to happen. And actually, we had originally bid on the deal and lost. And the original buyer couldn't perform. And the seller basically agreed to our lower price. So as long as we could close by middle of December of last year. And so we were able to maintain our pricing and get a good cap rate of where we were comfortable and just kind of maintain that discipline. And you said that, I mean, obviously it sounds like it's going to be a longer term deal given the fact that you're expanding the building and the tenants have another 10 years or so on their lease. I guess, how are you financing these types of deals? I'm assuming it's a pretty high purchase price. I know it's in the fund, but are you bringing all money from private investors, family offices, or are we talking insurance companies, that kind of thing? Yeah. So there are two different parts there. So the equity in the fund is a combination of high net worth, family offices, 
And since it's an evergreen fund, we're constantly fundraising. So we'll have corporate pensions in there. We'll have wealth managers. We'll have insurance companies over time. It'll be a mix of institutional and some really people that we know. We're not marketing to the broker-dealer network and the retail investors. These are all accredited investors. So it's really meant for kind of the long haul. On the debt side, we use a large regional bank. We actually crossed this deal with another deal that was another seed asset in the fund. And we use modest leverage. We're 60% leverage. So the two deals are crossed, which is one of the benefits that we have of putting the assets in the fund. And what we did was, you know, it's a three-year loan with two extensions. And ultimately, as we have more assets in the fund, we'll likely recapitalize what our debt structure looks like. But what this allowed us to do is sort of create a facility initially, have those deal crossed, and then we swapped our rate for five years. We knew going in, I sort of like to adhere to the sleep at night method of my job is to be a real estate guy and not try and prognosticate where interest rates are going. And so long as we can meet the yield that we liked going in and I can lock that in, I prefer to take that risk off the table. Some days I'll look like a genius. Some days I won't. Today we look pretty good. But for us, that's not risk that we should be taking unless we are in a position where we just have to. Right. So you basically wanted to cover yourself in case rates did spike, which it sounds like you do pretty often. Again, looks like a genius move right now. So kudos to you for that. Projected hold time is probably going to be 10 years or so? Yeah, it'll be the full 10 years and could be longer. Is what happens is when you do these expansions, you typically get more term at the back end. And this is going to be something that it's investment grade credit. If we think that there's continued embedded value, we'll just continue holding the asset, especially as things get built out in that area for sure. Well, and that's the benefit of having it in an evergreen fund, right? Indeed. One of the challenges we've had for 20 years is when you create value and it's a really good return for investors, even though you may believe there's still embedded value in the asset, those structures basically force you to sell. You book a good return, you earn your carried interest, and everyone sort of moves on. But this, after 20 years of doing this, feels like the right vehicle where when we see continued embedded value, we're not forced to sell. And that benefits our investors too. There's frictional costs and transactional costs. Like I've got to go find something that is going to be as good or better than that asset. And if it's something that we still think has embedded value, there's no reason to go ahead and sell it. Right. And when you're looking at deals like this one, where there is the ability or obligation to expand, I'm sure you have your target IRRs and all your returns up front. Do those change at all with kind of a moving property, right? Like it can get bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's got to change underwriting a little bit. Is there anything you do specifically when you're looking at that and the potential for expansion at these properties that adjusts your underwriting? Not really adjust our underwriting. I'll tell you that we don't give a lot of credit to what the upside and expansion potential is. We put weightings on the different scenarios. So we'll give our downside scenario maybe 20 to 30%, our base case 50 to 60, and then just a little bit of margin on the upside. And we really use kind of a blended return of what we think is achievable. The funny thing is that every single one of those scenarios will be wrong. 
and they're just pieces of paper and they're guideposts for where you think scientifically and mathematically you might come out. And really what you're trying to do is assess your risk in the deal on a relative basis for what you're paying. Candidly, when we're dealing with the expansions, the numbers work themselves out. I'm much less worried about how high that return is going to be because when you're dealing with an expansion and typically an extension, those are generally very positive outcomes for our investors. And so we're much more concerned about the protecting the downside risk because if we're right on what the upside is, the deal that we did in Dayton, Ohio, that we did an expansion for that tenant and an extension, that ended up being like a 50% return and like a six to seven equity multiple. That's actually the other deal I was going to talk about, but that's like the quadruple Lindy of real estate deals. I mean, you do that once a decade and you're doing pretty nicely for your investors. You know, on that deal, we actually went from a sub-investment grade credit to an investment grade tenant, did an expansion, increased the rent, got more lease term. A lot of things went right you have that cumulative effect that all those different variables, when they go right, produce really, really good returns for investors. And like you said, that doesn't happen very often. So most of the deals that you guys are doing is kind of that you're looking to hit singles and not home runs every time, right? Our job is to really look for mission critical assets that can deliver quality cash flow We believe that with rolling up our sleeves and getting dirty and creating relationships with the tenants, that we could create value beyond the four corners of the lease. So our track record in single tenant for over 20 years is over 33%. While I mentioned that 50 IRR is just being an aberration, we're still hitting a lot of doubles and triples to generate that kind of track record. Does it happen on every single deal? No. We don't know which deals it will happen on, but we're trying to pull every single lever at every single deal to try and execute a return that our active management, that's sort of where we started, our active management could outperform what a passive investor would have been able to do purely within the four corners of the lease. Right. That makes sense. So your value is your team and the ability to help grow these businesses as well as the properties and FD Stonewater, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I like it. Did I miss talking about anything on this deal today? I don't think so. I think we kind of nailed it. I mean, that gives people a pretty good flavor of, I mean, it's a pretty unique deal that you don't see every day. And so hopefully it was useful for your audience to hear something a little bit different. Well, I'm sure there's not many people that, I mean, you even said it yourself, there's a lot of people batting an eye at this deal and not wanting to take it down because of the nuances within the lease and the tenant type and all that stuff. So it sounds like this is almost kind of a niche investment that not many people are willing or able to take on. That's exactly right. And our firm is generally built on different niche strategies. So we really thrive on deals that Our background uniquely qualifies us to be able to perform and execute where others just don't have that background and capability. And this had all those components. It had the development component. It had that one step removed from federal expertise, and it had the single tenant mission critical component. It's like the ideal perfect deal for us. Well, Jeff, I appreciate your time today. Uh, We'll have the FD Stonewater website in the show notes down below. Is there anywhere else you want people to connect with you or is the website the best place? 
Yeah, website is fine. And people could reach out to me at jtoporek at fdstonewater.com. Be happy to engage with anyone who had questions. Awesome. Jeff, again, thank you so much. And I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Trent. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.